Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Hello, I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. This is a special Independence Day episode. Corey and I were both kind of had the same thought. We were thinking about freedom. Corey thought maybe this would be a good time to put this episode out. We're going to talk a little bit about freedom, the prophecies of this land and why it was created, the freedom of our souls, laws. What else, Corey? Just God's plan for us, I think, is underscored by that word freedom. Everything that he wants for us is is for freedom, spiritual freedom, a release, um, just the ability to live fully in this life and in the life to come. We have not uh, really talked for more than about two minutes before we started into this, although we both knew the topic, and I'm sure both have been thinking about it on our own. So I'm going to let, well... I'll let Corey go ahead and and, uh, start with uh, whatever he wants to share, what's on his heart. Well, you know, it's interesting when you consider freedom. There's there's freedom, you know, sometimes when uh, I look back on my life, I I think uh, freedom was expressed in different ways. Uh, When I was in college, all I could think about was being out of college. And uh, I thought, you know, from the just the weight of responsibility in college and and classes and everything. I remember when I finally finished, I lived in Iowa and I thought I am free and I was so free. I was going to drive down to Independence, but instead of taking the highway from Iowa City down to Independence, I decided I was going to drive the back roads the whole way from (laughs) Iowa and the normal five hour drive. Five hours later, I was still in Iowa somewhere. I had nowhere, and this was before the days of GPS. And I and I thought, well, you know, so much for being free. And nine <laughs> hours later, I finally got to where I wanted to go. But um, in that time in my life, I had a co-op job, and I was working at a company. And at that point in time, I met this man named Fred. And uh, Fred was uh, someone I'll always remember. I, I was touched by Fred in a way that I, I wanted to share, but... Uh, here I thought I was free, you know, I was kind of starting out on my own and had a, had a job, at least for a summer. And, uh, but I was a kid and, and I was working around a lot of uh, men, you know, 20, 30 years my senior. And there was Fred. Fred was this um, quiet, somewhat reserved man and uh, very distinguished looking. He had uh, very European features and he spoke with an accent. And, uh, and it's funny because in the Midwest, his manners didn't deserve it, but for whatever reason, he became the man that uh, everyone joked about and kind of poked fun at and everything because he never joked back. I mean, he, he, it wasn't like he took things seriously. He just, he never poked back. They would tease him about things and he would smile and he would laugh and everything. And, and um, I always kind of wondered what made Fred tick. He, n- nothing ever got under his skin. You know, he was just this easygoing, happy guy. Uh, with this definite European accent that I didn't really understand. And one day at the end of our shift, I worked in this plant and he worked there too. And Fred was, you know, probably 60 or so. And I was 20 something. And uh, we were changing out of our work clothes. And one day Fred told me about when he first started working there at that company many years prior. And, um, but he, he started his story this way. He said, you know, I grew up in Europe after World War II 
And he said, uh, in Czechoslovakia, where I lived, um, he said, it, it was a dark time. He said, although the, the war was over, he said, we, we played on the burned out hulks of tanks for that was our playground. He said, um, you know, communism was spreading and he said people were disappearing during the night. And he said, my, I believe he said his father and his uncle both disappeared. They had no idea. And he said this life that he knew as a child was, was closing in and it was just a prison to live where he was at. And when he got a chance to come to America as a young man, he knew he would probably never see his family again if he came. But he was in search of something that he, he knew his soul longed for. And uh, so I was listening to his story this day, and he came to this chemical plant. And at this chemical plant, they made uh, pesticides and other chemicals. And uh, to kill a bug takes some pretty potent chemicals sometimes. And um, in the olden days at this plant, some of the safeties weren't considered, and people had to mix certain chemicals, certain strong reagents by hand, and they usually gave that to the low guy on the totem pole. And um, so some of these chemicals were the equivalent of cyanide, which was Hitler's solution to a lot of Jews in Europe uh, in, in, the world, in the World War II era. So when Fred came to America, he came to this company, and they gave him the job nobody wanted. He had to work out in the summer heat of Missouri, you know, 100 plus degrees in this little shed because the chemicals are so potent they wouldn't mix it in a building. He had to wear a chemical suit and a chemical gas mask, and I'm sure the conditions were just awful. And if he walked by and, and kept, he had to mix these chemicals, and literally if he would get a whiff of those chemicals, it probably could have meant death or at least serious illness. And his story he said and as i mixed these chemicals every day wearing this gas mask and wearing this suit and sweating profusely having the worst job anyone could dream of he said i sang all day long and he said and why did i sing and i still remember his answer he said because i was free and that's his story just touched me mike that you know here i was i thought i was free because i could just drive where i wanted but now he knew what freedom really was in a way that I hadn't understood yet. And, you know, there's freedom beyond that, the, the freedom in Jesus Christ and, and the things that uh, he has waiting for us. You um, you told uh, a story just briefly before while we were getting ready. Are you going to share that story about the freedom? Oh, yeah, freedom? yeah. That was, he was sharing a, a story of physical freedom. Mm-hmm. And tell me about someone, then the spiritual freedom, the, but the... But, uh, a twist to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, to, to kind of lead that way, I was thinking this week about this fact that it's the 4th of July and, you know, our country celebrates its freedom and, and how um, we do that as a nation because we were free from the oppression of other countries that would have wanted to hold us in bondage and hold us by their rule versus maybe the rule that, that God desired, or at least more closely the rule that God would desire for a nation to have. And uh, But, you know, it's interesting, Mike, in the history of the Bible, there was a time when God's people looked forward to freedom, and every seven years they were supposed to let the land rest, and every seventh set of seven years or 49 years, on, on the 50th year, 
they had what was called Jubilee. And, and that was a special Sabbath of the land. Not only did the land rest, but, and this was part of God's law for God's people. This wasn't just something they did in the nation. It was something that God uh, designed and, and God commanded. And you can read about it in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. But they would blow a trumpet at the that beginning of that year, and that trumpet would proclaim that it was the year of liberty. And in that year, uh, people would return the lands to their original owners. It, but if if you were a slave, you got freedom. If you were an indentured an indentured servant, you uh, went back to your family. You were no more indentured. Uh, if there were debts you had, even if you were hopelessly in debt, the debts debts were wiped off the books. Everyone started with a clean slate. And this was something that God designed and did once every 50 years. So in your lifetime, you you might see it once, uh, possibly see it, it happen twice, but it was the greatest of years. And I think there's symbols on many, many levels. I, I think to look at it from just the the biblical standpoint of how the people lived, you know, they, they got to see that, uh, freedom was something they could look forward to, that uh, if they were in bondage, if they were a servant, if they were whatever, that that, that wasn't going to be a forever thing. And, and God there, teaches this in many ways, many parallels from this, to learn that our spiritual freedom that we look forward to uh, one day is a parallel to this jubilee, that, that we aren't going to be burdened by this uh, the, the the debt of this life and the sins of this life and the burdens of this life and and that there will be a release someday and that release is in Jesus Christ, you know Michael Card the musician had a song, uh, it came out some years ago but I remember the title it was called Jubilee and and the the chorus is Jesus is our jubilee you know the freedom that you know Jesus isn't just part of what's ahead in heaven he is the reason he is heaven he is the freedom. And this freedom is not just something that we get along with him. It's, it's all because of him. And so the hope that these people must have lived with and, and that had to be in the back of everyone's mind that, hey, even if I was hurting and, and, and in debt, or even if I was a slave, that it didn't have to last my whole life if I could make it to Jubilee. So there's, there's many more elements to that. But I think historically it's kind of just cool that, God wanted that to be in, in the forefront of everyone's planning and their thinking that someday there would be freedom, just like in the forefront of our thinking today, that we should know that there will be an end to the bondage of this life. Hmm. It's uh, it's kind of interesting when you talk about freedom, like the um, this land, 4th of July, you know, there was a group of people that left a country and came to this land um, because they wanted to be free. They wanted to be free to do certain things and to live certain ways. And, um, and yet when they came here, they very quickly set up their own set of laws and government, uh, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and they um, put themselves under... Um, bondage isn't the word, but under the um, under the umbrella of those laws, and they understood that there had to be some kind of structure, some kind of governing um, way of living, in order to ensure that they would be free. And so, when we talk about freedom, 
a lot of times, well, people have different ideas, but you can think about the laws of this land. You know, I can I can leave work and come home and I can, you know, maybe say, well, I'm, I'm going to drive as fast as I want. That's a easy, you know, I'm going to drive 80 miles an hour down Truman Road. And if I do that every day, I'm eventually going to get pulled over and get a ticket. And so in my mind, I may think, well, I'm free to drive as fast as I want. And, and in some respects, that is true. But I'm also then putting myself in bondage because I'm not free to spend my money how I want because I may have a $300 ticket then awaiting mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a two-edged, there's a double side to um, when we look at freedom and laws. Um, there's two sides to it. One, uh, we have to be beholden to some type of laws that govern our actions. But in so doing, if those laws are good and if they're righteous and moral, it gives us in the long run a greater uh, freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's interesting what you just said too, because the, the freedom isn't in just that there are laws that say we'll be free, but the freedom comes when we choose to abide. Um, you know, there's a, right now there's this controversy in our country and you, and you hear this word, um, for instance, so hate crimes or hate speech. And, and, um, you know, I, I wonder sometimes when we start making laws that govern the way people have to think, because typically any law governs the way you think. I, I guess, like you mentioned on driving, uh, I, I can think that I can drive 80 or I can think that I can drive the speed limit, but it, my choices are a result of how I think. But the problem is, we have to be careful that we we remember that part of freedom, and I think God wants it this way, is that our agency is never forced, that the, the laws become good when we choose to abide by them. And, and what I'm getting at is this. You know, people talk about, um, well, hate speech and hate crimes. And, you know, what concerns me about that, I, I mean, I love the fact that uh, we have this ability to speak our mind. That was one of the peop- one of the things the founding fathers realized was the first thing they had to change from any society they had come from is that you know you had to be able to say the king's ideas are wrong and the rules of the land are wrong and and be able to do that without fear of retribution because in any of the other countries of former civilizations, just saying that would get you thrown in jail. You didn't have the right to express your opinion. But what concerns me in this day is how people decide, well, let's legislate that you can't say everything that you think or feel. I mean, no, should you threaten people? No. Should you should you have anger towards people? No. But, but what worries me right now is that there are people who want to change laws that define what you can say or express. I would much rather live in a land where hate speech occurs knowing that I'm free to speak my mind versus having rules which dictate now what I'm free to express because my main concern is the people then, who are the people that get to decide what is right and wrong? And and I don't always know the agenda of those people. So I'm, I'm a big proponent that I would rather la- live in a land where there exists hate speech knowing I'm free to express my views versus where we're losing liberties and that those views are now going to get me in trouble for having them. Um, you know, the, the agency that God gave us was, was always to come with responsibility. So I, I would guess, I hope we always can live in a land where in, in God's design, we have the ability to do hateful things and choose to never do them. You know, we, we have the ability to do 
sin and because of our love for Christ, we don't do it. You know, that's that's the real agency. Um, Satan's plan was to take away our agency. Now, how if he would have had his way, what that would have looked like, I have no idea. Scripture doesn't really give us an idea. But the whole thing is God never wanted people either who were forced to love him. He wanted people who were free and chose to by their own hearts. So that is an element of freedom, I think, is always part of what uh, our choices need to be. And and boy, what what an amazing country we have that uh, the not just the people did, but that God's rules, God's laws, God's precepts were able to um, penetrate the minds of people to come up with a structure of living where people were free to, to not only live, but free to do something else. And that was to set up a land where someday a gospel, a fullness of the gospel could be returned so that it could freely be distributed to the people. Now, we've talked about some scriptures about that. Mm-hmm. The um, It's interesting, as you were just talking, uh, God said in Gen- you know, that there needs to be an opposition in all things. Yeah, yeah. An opposition in all things in order for man to thrive and to have joy. And we, we talked about that scripture that Adam fell, that men might be, men are, that they might have joy. And, and within that philosophy, or if, if you look at the, the words surrounding that, that um, there, there had to be an opposition And yet, right now in our country, we see a movement to just try to remove any opposition. Exactly, and that's and that's in so doing. What when you were talking a little bit ago? That's that really is removing our choice because we, as you said, you know, laws work when people choose and have the opportunity to choose to obey them. But when you start to legislate away, and and there's no longer an opposition, you really are um, you, you end up taking away, and people lose their lose their freedom obviously yeah. so that that yeah that's why for instance the scriptures were always adamant about don't have a king don't have a king because people thought well it'll just be easier if that person makes the rules but suddenly the rules become one-sided in mm-hmm. the favor of the king and not in favor of the people and so in in thinking hey we'll just be better off if we do this it's it's like that with our laws we, we can't ever legislate away our freedom you know we'd rather live in a in a land that allows things to happen where people choose because of the goodness or the change of their heart not to do them versus a land where you just say, well, now you can't say what you want to say or think what you want to think. You know, even the Book of Mormon said there was no law against what people believed, even in their day. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember the story back in the, it was back when uh, Clinton was president and this young boy was walking home and um, a couple of guys picked him up in a truck and he was uh, an unknown homosexual, and they picked him up in the truck and ended up beating him pretty bad and tied him to a fence post, and he spent the night out there and ended up dying from his injuries. And that was when uh, President Clinton uh, signed a bill that um, that, that was a, um, into that, a hate crime. At the time, that bothered me, and I didn't quite, I didn't know why or the whole ramifications, but just thought, you know, what they did is a crime. No, exactly. Why, why attach? Exactly. Um, in, what is the purpose of attaching something then based on what they were thinking to make it even more gross of a crime? It was mm-hmm. a terrible, disgusting, gross crime as it was. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, you know, that was in the 80s, you know, 30, 40 years later, we're now seeing um, that the footwork for that is just in, in Canada, just, you know, they passed a law that there's certain, you know, against speech. And that's one of your, you know, Jordan Peterson spoke out about that and said, 
you know, he wouldn't obey that and, and got him a lot of notoriety as he's been. Yeah, yeah, because they've already overstepped that boundary now where they're saying, well, now it can be a crime if you don't call someone by the pronoun that they choose, that they would desire to be pro him or her or where, whatever. Right. And so, you know, that's one of these areas where it's like, and I totally agree with you. I mean, a, a crime against a human is a crime against a human for, for whatever reason. And, and of course, you know, no, no one deserves to be treated, you know, less than any other citizen or have any other right desire denied them because of their, you know, affiliations or, or beliefs or expressions of those beliefs. That's, you know, by living in this country and enjoying the freedoms means that I'm going to accept that there are going to be people who are, can fully express their denial of Jesus Christ, for instance, that they are they're free to say that, you know, if I believe that heterosexual marriage is of God, they are free to say it's not. And that's that's the rules that I guess I accept by being a citizen of this country. But that's greater than just a national law. That's the law God wants that we are always choosing by choice. And if our mind is persuaded towards the things of God, praise the Lord that it happens. But so, you know, having a, a crime against a person for any reason is is grossly wrong. And so, obviously, um, it's, it's interesting, though, in the, like you say, in, in younger years, we saw this, and now what it's evolving into, it's unfortunate because it seems to be seeping now into, well, well, you know, you can't say anything from a pulpit. You know, it's seeming to be expressed now one way or the other, or you're going to create some kind of problem or or you might be deemed you know inciting hate speech and this is where it gets uh, somewhat uh, tricky now and so I, I don't know how it'll be resolved politically I, I believe spiritually god never wants our agency infringed upon in that way he wants us free to always choose because of our belief and our love for him to do the right thing uh, so uh, yeah and you know our country has a an amazing history like you said the the founders and they, they set up this land of liberty but you know there's a there's a couple scriptures that uh, just intrigue me one of them comes from the book of mormon in the third book of nephi chapter 9 in the uh, rlds version and you know uh, the lord tells the nephites jesus is speaking to the nephites after his resurrection and he's giving them signs about the, their future he tells how they're going to come back to him, the, the very remnant of Joseph in this land. And around the 89th and 90th verse of, of 3 Nephi chapter 9, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus tells this remnant of, of the house of Jacob, who this is their land, and he said, I'm going to tell you that there's going to be this nation that's going to come on this land. They're going to be Gentiles, and they're going to have power because of the Holy Ghost. They're, they are going to be blessed, and they're going to become greater than any other nation. But he said, the things that I'm telling you are going to come back to your descendants through them. I'm going to bring this gospel to them. But this is the connection to this land and this nation. He says this, and this is uh, verse 89, For it is wisdom in the Father that they should be established in this land, the they being us, this Gentile nation. He said, and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from them unto a remnant of your seed, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenanted with his people, O house of Israel. 
That that was the scripture uh, when you talked about doing this podcast today, and um, they uh, that was the scripture that came to my mind because when I was reading the Book of Mormon again through the last two years, I, I saw that, and that's what just jumped out at me. I'm like, this nation was set up to be free. For the, for the purpose of bringing forth the Book of Mormon to go back to the remnant of the House of Israel, to Joseph people. Isn't that and huge? I, Isn't that, I, mean, I never saw that before. And that is a huge... Read that, read that scripture again. Yeah, that's yeah. A, this, the, the nation... It's, and, and it says, This was the wisdom of the Father, that the Gentiles would be established in this land, be set up as a free people by the power of the Father. Now, just that right there. Mm-hmm. Set up as a free people by the power of the Father. You know, it wasn't just by chance. And it, it, God's hand was in this. It was behind it. It was designed, you know, 2,000 years almost before that, the, at least as he's expressing this to the Nephites, so that these words would have a chance to come back to the remnant. You know, you imagine if the Book of Mormon, even at if it had been written somehow, uh, but transported to China, you know, the plates went to China or the Soviet Union, you know, how, how would the Book of Mormon have come forth through right. those lands, through those nations? I mean, no way, right? It would have been squelched. And yet, and it's also interesting because later uh, in the Book of Mormon, we're told that the, the part of this Gentile nation to be free was, I mean, this was the, the, the reason. This was it. So the Book of Mormon could come forth. But he also mentions that it couldn't have come forth to the Lamanites because the Lamanites hated the things of God. And they were so turned against him that had they had the record that um, of, the, of Joseph's people, they would have destroyed it. They, they wouldn't have ever let it come back forth. So, so God says, okay, well, I'm going to bring another nation. I'm going to, by my power, make them free, make them have this land. And you, and you wonder if all the other things of this nation, all the land, all the, the political process of voting and presidents and having, having the, the, the laws that we have and everything, you know, a judicial branch, a legislative branch, an executive branch of our government, all this kind of stuff was really just all the infrastructure for a the gospel to return to the world, you know, and that's that's kind of what the Book of Mormon says yeah. it was for. And so, if that was the purpose of this land to bring that forth, and we we call that we call that record the fullness of the gospel, it was to restore um, lost parts of the gospel, things that had been changed through the through the years. Uh, it was to restore truth. It gives us a clear understanding of Jesus and His blood and atonement. Uh, we're able to get a better picture of God. It's just a more full picture. If that was to be restored and to come forth, then what would happen if that was the purpose of this country when the Gentiles then rejected that fullness, rejected that in so many ways, oh. and then we get into the blessings and the cursings of this land. We would be blessed if we would... I mean, if that was the purpose of this land, and then we turn around and reject the fullness of the gospel, and it doesn't mean, per cha- you know the actual book, but the teachings that would bring people to Christ. And as we see a nation then fall farther away from Christ, well, then what choice does the Lord have to do? And so you, we've talked about the the cursings and the blessings. Yeah, well, another great parallel, the cursing and blessing of the land. And, you know, it, what you brought up is, is pretty deep, Mike, when you consider that if that was God's design from the beginning, that he set up this land, and we've used the word in conversation before us, as a cradle, literally, for the for this gospel to be able to grow from. Um, but then 
if that was the original purpose and then the same nation rejects that gospel and and i and i qualify that by you know like I look at the division in, in, in the collective restoration. I'm not looking at just at one branch or one location or even in one sect, you know, RLDS, LDS, restoration. You, you can go a lot of different ways. There's been so much division and, and so many people who've taken this Book of Mormon and represented it irresponsibly, you know, with, with strange doctrines or strange laws. And, and it's like, where where can you look and find people who are li- living with the changed heart and, and the pure love of Christ. It's like, you know, even even among the people who believe, it's like, man, we're, we struggle sometimes. But when you look at the nation and you see that, by, you know, we, we just think because of our freedom, that gives us the right to slip more and more into immorality. Um, the, the very scriptures of the Book of Mormon and, the Je- and Jesus' words are also telling because he says this in, in the third book of Nephi, chapter 7, he says, you know, the time's going to come when these Gentiles have this fullness of the gospel. And he says this, and this is an interesting scripture, and he says, hey, in the latter days, the truth is going to come to the Gentiles. And this is third Nephi seven thirty one, that the fullness of all these things I'm telling you, Jesus is saying to the Nephites, might be made known to them. So Jesus' plan was specifically to the Gentiles, too, that so that we could have the fullness of the gospel, so that we could know how to come to Christ and be saved, so that we wouldn't stumble anymore. You know, Nephi sees that in his vision in the first book of Nephi, chapter 3. He sees the Gentiles stumble and fall because of plain and precious truths that have been removed from some of the original writings. So he brings this gospel back to us so that we can have the truth so that we can know it and yet it's been misrepresented i mean and, and i don't want to go into that but what what you pointed out that hey so what happens when the gospel was to be given to us as a gift so we could thrive and prosper and live under it in harmony and peace and yet we choose to turn away well he says this he, he continues in third nephi 7 he said um blessed are the gentiles because of their belief in me and he said but woe to the unbelieving of the Gentiles, for notwithstanding they've come forth on the face of this land and have scattered my people, he said, and, the, and God's mercies have been upon them. He said, at the day when the Gentiles sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and all the people of the earth, and be filled with all manner of lines, deceits, mischiefs, hypocrisy, murders, priestcrafts, whoredoms, secret abominations. I mean, does this describe our day right now? And he says, hey, when this happens, he said, if they do these things and reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I'm going to bring my, the fullness of my gospel from among them, and I'm going to remember my covenant, which I've made to my people, O house of Israel, and I will bring my gospel unto them. That's pretty profound. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost, uh, you know, uh, 1,500 years or so, 1,000 years before that, another uh, prophet wrote um, about this land in the book of Ether. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage. What a promise, mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. Free from captivity and from all other nations under heaven 
if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? What a promise and a condition. Free from bondage, free from any other nation, keeping them captive. We have no clue. But man, when I, when, when, like the story of your friend, I can't imagine, I can't imagine being like the Jews during the days of Hitler or any other number of countries where you're hiding in your house, where you're not free to move about, where you're not free to prosper, you're not free to, to even have food, where you stand in line forever to get sustenance. And here is a promise to a country that will never have to worry about that unless they refuse to serve the God of this land who is Jesus Christ. Exactly, exactly. You know, what is interesting too is the the, the prophecies that came to this remnant, the, the Nephites, um, were, was very interesting because Nephi sees that God would bless the Gentiles, and I'm just talking about, you know, you, you were either a, a Jew or of the house of Israel or you were a Gentile. That pretty much covers everyone in the world. But, but he saw that the power of the Holy Ghost would be upon the Gentiles of this nation. And it's interesting because we don't even consider, in, in, in the, we, we think that, okay, well, the Holy Ghost had to come, you know, if you were baptized, like it was just a church thing. But literally, that God said to the people uh, of the Nephites that it was the power of the Holy Ghost that would be poured out upon the people of this land that would make them mighty above all. And that's pretty amazing, too, that that has been fulfilled. And, and in a day, you know, before uh, Joseph Smith could have even seen it in the nation, I mean, we were just still a nation kind of a farmers healing from the uh-huh. Revolutionary War at that time. But 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 the prophecy has been true. Don't oh you think? my goodness! How we don't have enough hours to look at what has transpired in this country in less than two hundred years. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, a, a country of of farmers and um, what the industrial revolution, cities, New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles. I mean, it, it's the the. Um, the highway systems, the interstates, the trains, the and, and and knowing that you can trans you can you can transport yourself from one side of the country to the other, and know you still have the freedoms on one side that you do on the other, and that you're free to go back and forth. You don't need to check in with anyone. You 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 you're, you're you know it's like you're you're free. You're really free, and and to not have that, I mean, we I, I can't imagine what that's like, you know, and and but yet evil men did and do these things to try to restrict because you know and that's why i'm i'm fearful for anything that restricts our freedom in this land because that's always the beginning of the end and and people in our own lives you know we we sometimes think we're doing the things that are freedom you know like hey hey, if if i'm free i'm I'm free to just you know if i'm uh, if i'm taking um Oh, some some kind of some illegal substance or doing something like that. You know, people say I'm free to do that, but those choices, when they work against God's laws and God's plan, are are just bondage in disguise. You know, we we are we lie to ourselves when we turn to ways of the flesh and think that by indulging in greater ways of the flesh, that's making us more free because we can do it. You know, the the actual laws of Jesus are such that when you want to have freedom. You end up denying the flesh more. You 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 um, turn away from lust. You delay that gratification in a sense, or or you look beyond it because you realize that true freedom comes in sacrificing and in living for others. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, just backing up to our topic of this land, this verse 3 Nephi 9, 65, uh, Jesus again tells this same group of people that he was raised up by the Father to them first and to bless them so that they would be turned away from their iniquities because they were children of the covenant. And he says, and after you're blessed, then the Father's going to fulfill a covenant he made with Abraham, saying, in, in your seed, Abraham, you know, you had Jewish and Gentile children. The Hebrew nations and the Gentile nations came, bo- both came from your, your lineage. He said, in your seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed, and this will happen unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all. And that has definitely happened. And one of the mighty things that happened was, he continues to say, unto scattering this very people of house of Israel, and they would be a scourge to the people of this land. But it's interesting that God, I'm intrigued by this, poured out the Holy Ghost upon the Gentiles and we didn't know it. I mean, we, we thought maybe we were responsible for our own prosperity. For the cotton know? gin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The light bulb. Yeah, everything. You know, um, it's interesting, too, that in so many ways, you know, you, you, you can't celebrate Christmas and whether or not December 25th is the birth of Christ. Not not trying to take that issue right now. But you can't just have a holiday that represents Christ because you have to mix in the, the Christmas traditions and the in the presence. You know, you can't just have Easter and, and the resurrection of Christ. There has to be green grass and baskets and Easter bunnies. Um, but I find that on every level, everything that was ever done to honor God by our traditions in this land are always diluted down. And, you know, growing up, I always thought that uh, our, our celebration of Thanksgiving in November was something that was always about uh just the pilgrims, the Indians, the, their history, and how they kind of had this peaceful dinner together. And then I found this letter that was written by Abraham Lincoln, and I thought I thought we celebrated that holiday because of the tradition of our country. But the reason that even that fourth Thursday in November is reserved as this day of Thanksgiving was Abraham Lincoln, in his own words, said, we have been blessed. He said, we've been drunken in our prosperity. And he said, the result is we have forgotten God. And he writes this letter to the nation just shortly before his death, actually, saying, let's set aside the, th- the fourth Thursday of November as a special day. And it was supposed to be of celebration, but also fasting and prayer. But, but to thank our Father, that was literally what he said, to thank our Father in heaven because of his mighty blessings in sparing us and showing his mercy upon us and, and you know, in giving us the freedom that we have, but the, the lifestyle and everything. And it's amazing that that part of the story, just like everything else with Christmas and Easter and all that, has, has just been diluted or put aside. And it's all about, you know, Squanto and the pilgrims and turkeys and these things. And it's like the reason was God's, you know, goodness was so manifest, at least to the president of the United States, he said, our whole nation needs to stop and thank him. That was why we originally had Thanksgiving. This land was um, blessed for those that uh, aren't Book of Mormon scholars. Um, what about, the, uh, talk a little bit if you can, and it's in the final prophecy, about the tribes of uh, Israel and the blessing that was to Joseph and what we believe that was as, as, as Joseph... Um, as his father blessed all of the sons, what was Joseph's blessing? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a great, great 
uh, topic, and we could spend a lot of time with that. You know, um, Joseph's whole story is is a foretelling of a prophecy. It's a type and a shadow. Um, you know, when you look at the book of Genesis itself, the early parts cover centuries, you know, people's lives, hundreds and hundreds of years are sometimes just skipped over in a verse. You know, if you take the first eight chapters of Genesis and just you can pinch them in a tiny little, you know, pinch of pages together, and it's like 2,000 years of history from Adam to, to Noah, really. We don't get a lot of description in that time other than to say everyone was lifted up in the pride of their own heart, and that's how the world became flooded. But after that, time stretches out, and you get more and more details of people's lives. And when you get to the end of Genesis, you, you now get moment-to-moment accounts of a certain man, and the name is, of the man is Joseph. And there's a reason for that. Uh, part of it is because God said, and he, and he shares this later with the Nephites, they said, Joseph's life is a type and shadow. His departure from his homeland and him rising up in a foreign land and coming to power, and then a day comes later when his own family is starving and he nourishes them, keeps them alive. He, he said that that is the type and shadow for how Joseph's words themselves will be the thing that someday comes back to Israel when they're spiritually starving, and the very remnant of Joseph, the Nephites who wrote these words, that helps graft them back in. That, that brings them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and sustains them. And so Joseph's promise in, in the end of Genesis is pr- profound on, on many levels, but that his seed, his descendants, would, would find Christ. And this uh, promise that he's uh, sharing is just before he dies. And he says that, he said, um, and this is Genesis 50, around verse 24 in the inspired version. He said, there's, there's going to be a, a time when my people are going to be scattered again. And he said, a branch will be broken off and carried into a far country. Nevertheless, they shall be remembered in the covenants of the Lord when the Messiah comes. And for he shall be manifested unto them. But it says also in the latter days, the spirit of power in bringing them out of darkness into light, out of hidden darkness, out of captivity into freedom. That promise of Joseph. See, Joseph saw the days of Nephi, and it's something that we don't have in our written account through the Bible, but it was apparently part of the brass plates and maybe some of the plain and precious truths that were removed because Nephi and others say, hey, Joseph saw our day, and he delighted to see that we were this remnant. He understood. So the the descendants of Lehi, Lehi and his family, they discovered they were descendants of Joseph. So they were literally some of his great-grandchildren who came over here. And one of the things of the description of Joseph that is very interesting as well is how when Jacob, the father of Joseph and Judah and Gad and Reuben and all these 12 brothers who became the leaders of the 12 tribes, when he dies, he he gives a blessing upon each of his son and he gives a little description and and some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. But on Joseph's, he says this, he says, Joseph is like a tree planted by a well and it's roots or its branches grow over the wall 
And you know, that's a profound, beautiful picture. And, and we've mistaken part of this. We, we sometimes jump to a conclusion that, oh, well, the branch is going over the wall means that's part of Joseph maybe coming to America. And yeah, that may be true, but we miss the greater point of this. The greater point is that the well, the well in, in the days of everyone up until the last hundred years of life, you had to have water to survive. You went to the well every day. If you wanted to have life, you had to go to the well. One of the reasons also our nation is so great, this is a separate topic, but I found this at one of the U.S. geological websites once doing some research. They said one of the reasons our nation became so great was because throughout the land in, in so many places, even in desert places, there's an abundance of groundwater. He said, you could pretty much go in any direction and know that if you were a settler, for instance, if you'd spend enough time, you could dig down and find water. Well, that's such a huge blessing because that meant that you could live. If you could have water, you could live. So Joseph's description of being this tr tree that's flourishing because it's by the well, the well represents Jesus Christ. He is the well. He's there, it's not coincidental that he meets people at the well and that you know every bride of these patriarchs, you know, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, all these people, uh, well, Abraham and Isaac, their, their wives are found at a well. And Jesus visits this Gentile woman at a well, and, and she discovers who he is, that he's the Messiah. And that's foreshadowing that the Gentiles would come to Christ as well. But this point of the well is profound in that Joseph being planted by the well represents that the people of Joseph would have a testimony and a witness of Jesus Christ. That is the bottom line. And that's what it means so that their lineage would be blessed in a day to come when they would come back to this knowledge of Jesus Christ, which right now, you know, the whole house of Israel scattered and they don't have a, a, a full testimony. They might, some might have, but they don't even know who they are. The Jews have denied the Messiah. The Gentiles are falling away left and right. I mean, atheism is, is surpassing Christianity in our country right now. And, and all these people moving away from Jesus. But this picture of Joseph by the well, that his people are going to find that freedom and that life in Jesus Christ. And whether they have it right now, this whole prophecy is that they're going to return to him someday. And that's what changes things. That's what literally begins Zion, I, I firmly believe when we were reading from Genesis, uh, or I'm sorry, 3 Nephi 7, uh, that those chapters where he says, I, I will take my gospel from the Gentiles and bring it back to you, a house of Israel. That's when it comes back to Joseph. And when they get their testimony of Jesus Christ, the world begins to change. Let's, that's it. Let's talk about that for a minute. So we talked about the purpose of this land. Um, Book of Mormon says it was a set up as a free land so that this gospel could come forth. And then we talk about the blessing of Joseph. And um, what happens then, um, the other side of that, the cursing? You know, it, that's also interesting. There's a lot of parallels in the scripture. Um, and it's interesting how the, the, the deeper you dig into scripture, the more apparent things become. Uh, we've talked about this already, that, that there's these parallels. And one that's just right after that scripture where you mentioned about how Adam fell, that men might be, and that men are, that they might have joy. And I think we talked that uh, over in a previous episode. But just a few verses past that in Second Nephi chapter 1, around verse 119 uh, and 120, 
He says, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given to them which are expedient to man, free to choose liberty and eternal life, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. Freedom on one side, free to choose. Captivity on the other side, free to choose. And yet in these, um, the prophecies, in in the foundation that God has set up for us, uh, again, he's given us uh, a parallel. Uh, It's just like these parallels in all things. You know, we're free to choose life or free to choose death. That's the ultimate. Uh, we're either for God or we're against God in the end. That's the other, the ultimate, the eternal ultimate. But um, this land, while it was called the land choice above all other lands, it came with a blessing and a cursing. And the blessing was this. If you keep God's commandments, you will prosper. I mean, that's a principle. That that was the promise given to the Nephites. And I went through the Book of Mormon one time, and I realized that every writer of the Book of Mormon said almost those exact words or some other some variation of it. You can't find someone who wrote who didn't say it. Mm. In fact, one of the people who only wrote a few verses in one of the shorter books of the Book of Mormon happened to say the, the negative to that. He said, we didn't keep God's commandments and we didn't prosper, but I don't have more much more to say, so I'm going to pass the records on. People knew this principle to be true. If you keep God's commandments, you'll prosper. And in God's commands, you'll find freedom, you'll find happiness, you'll find life, because you'll choose to live that way, not because you're forced to, you'll want to. But the cursing is there too. And and the cursing happens to be as uh, spoken of as frequently as the blessing. The cursing is this. If we reject the God of this land... Then destruction comes, and and he says it in many places. In Alma uh, seventeen, he said, "There's a curse on this land, and destruction will come to the workers of darkness when they're fully ripe." And uh, that if we reject the God who gave us this freedom, he said, "Then the land is cursed for our sakes. If iniquity will abound in Second uh, Nephi chapter one verse fourteen, the land is cursed for our sakes." Um, in, in Enos 1 verse 15 it says I give unto them the Nephites this land it's a holy land a holy land and I curse it not save it be for the cause of iniquity and so we have to be cognizant of the fact that you know we can't just slip into moral decay and have and expect that our freedoms still work in this land you know freedoms only work for a morally upright people if if we become morally bankrupt, our freedoms cause our bondage because we become bond, bondage in bondage by our blindness. We we forget the God who gave us this land, but not the land, the the re, the freedom and the and the responsibility and the righteousness that came from that. We think it's of our own doing, and then we create these laws and these situations that just implode upon us because now God's not part of that picture. You know, and freedom in the hands of a morally corrupt people is tragic. So in the end of Jesus speaking, and, and there's many scriptures that talk about the cursing. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's true, because we only want to usually think of the good. But he said, uh, Alma, he said, uh, for this cursing and blessing of God upon the land, he said, the Lord can't look upon sin 
with the least degree of allowance. It's, it's not like, okay, well, we can kind of slip and slide here. No, those are our own turnings. And as we turn away, we invite bondage. We invite captivity. So when God spoke to the Nephites about the Gentiles who would be great by the power of the Holy Ghost and so great they would even scourge and scatter his very own people, he said also that gospel, if they reject it, would be taken from them. He also said there was room for repentance, just as he said with every other nation that he ever came to. This, his arm is still extended. He, he's not an impatient God. He, his, his arm extend, is extended all the day long, says the scripture to us, if we will repent. If we repent, the promises were numbered among the house of Israel with them in the blessings on this land. So that's, that's wonderful. The reality, however, is in the end of his speech to the Nephites, he states that this Gentile land, if we reject him, will be cleansed. He says it will be cleansed of the wickedness, of the abominations, of all these things, and it'll be worse than even the heathen had experienced before. And, and I'm not being a prophet of gloom and doom. I'm just stating that if the people don't abide by God's rules. This land has always been under that uh, umbrella of blessing and cursing. You follow him and you prosper, or you reject him and, and you suffer consequence. And so in the end of Jesus's discourse with the Nephites, he explains that his purpose is to fulfill these covenants, to bring people back to him. This nation will be the birthplace someday of a city, according to the scriptures, where holiness exists again. Uh, when this house of Joseph, when their hearts turn back to the Lord, and then the repentant Gentiles and those of the house of Israel join them, that's when a city is built. Third Nephi 10, chapter 1, when that city is built, God says, you know, the power of heaven will come down. I will be in your midst, Jesus says, and, and the work will commence in that day when it goes forth to other nations. But the only way that day is prepared is as we find in the end of 3 Nephi 9, he said, when the iniquity is removed. So what that means, what that looks like, I, I can't say. But Jesus was very specific that the iniquity of the land would be removed so that the righteousness could go forth one more once again. We have uh, somewhat of an idea what has happened um, in other nations, in other times, when they've prospered and grown and um, improved. I don't, well, there's cycles throughout scriptures that when this happens, iniquity happens, because with prosperity, it seems, always comes iniquity. And so in America, with all of the prosperity that we had, it was interesting you said earlier, you know, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon the Gentiles. And I was thinking, we, we were recently in um, the, up in Michigan, and we went to the Edison Museum, and um, we were walking through all of these inventions and things that have taken place in this country. And, of course, some of these uh, engines, these steam engines that were running factories, I stood there, and they were stories tall. Hmm. And you look at the... Um, <clears throat> like the screws that had to go into these machines and then the tools that had to tighten these screws and and how all of these parts were forged by steel. 
I don't know that men ever looked at themselves as they as they were working on these things and thought, man, the Holy Spirit is with me today. I am right. I am on fire. You know, the Lord has revealed how to make this engine. They had no idea that. Not not all of them. Some of them pro- probably very much gave glory to God, but I'm sure a lot of of the people as this country has risen had no idea that um, the Holy Spirit was being poured out upon them. Exactly, and we were recipients of the blessings of a God who loved us in spite of ourselves, mm-hmm. and that's always been the case. Yeah. So when we begin to sin against the gospel, we can expect um, that Holy Spirit whether we acknowledge it as the Holy Spirit or not, to to withdraw and to, to quit leading men to be that, you know, to, to invent and to be industrious and to come up with these things. Yeah, and, and, and the inventions we do have end up leading to our corruption and our immorality. You know, mm-hmm. for as much as we praise technology in the day we're living in, you look around us and it seems to be breaking people apart, you know. But uh, what you just said, too, is interesting, Mike, because... Uh, Helaman 4 states something, just like you said, we, we have no idea how God's behind all these things, and he wants to bless us. Whether we, we even realize it or not, he's going to do it. But in Helaman 4, uh, it, it reads at verse 48 that you know the people had been waxing stronger and stronger in their pride and in their wickedness. They were ripening for destruction. And it's it's also to be considered that Isaiah writes, in the day that Jesus established the Zion, he said, the haughtiness, the lofty looks of men will be bowed down. And and this is always the the condition, the, the loftiness of our hearts, the, the haughtiness, the pride that leads people away from God. That's the first thing that God removes, that, that pride. But back to Helaman 4, he says, this was the condition of the people. They were getting stronger in their pride and their wickedness. And then he, he writes this, and I think this is very profound in its description of anyone in anyone's day, but even us right now. He says, Thus we can see how faults and also the unsteadiness of the hearts of the children of men, we can see that the Lord in his great infinite goodness doth bless and prosper those who put their trust in him. Yea, and we may see that at the very time when he doth prosper his people. And then he describes, in the increase of their fields, their flocks, their herds, their gold, their silver, you know, your bank account, your, your, your holdings, your, your whatever you have, but not just financial, in, the, in, your, in, your, um, just in your spiritual wealth and the emotional health of your family, in all these things. He said, he blesses in every manner of precious things of every kind in art, sparing their lives, delivering them out of the hands of their enemies, softening the hearts of their enemies that they shouldn't declare wars on them these are things god's doing behind the scenes delivering us out of enemies softening hearts of our enemies he says doing all these things for the welfare and happiness happiness of his people he says yea then that is the time that they do harden their hearts and forget the lord their god and do trample under their feet the Holy One, and all this because of their ease and their exceeding great prosperity. Isn't that something that in the very day when God blesses us, the Scripture says that's the day we forget Him? Have I've uh, have you seen that? Uh, I've seen that lived out in my own life. Mm-hmm. 
How many times have we been driven to our knees because of, just in a very personal nature, you know, because of things that are going on in our life? Uh, when I talked with Adam uh, a few weeks ago when he was here, and he talked about how he had had an experience with the Lord and how he felt, uh, you know, he felt bad because uh, he was aware that it was like a triple A, you know, calling on the Lord when he needed him and when things were down and out and, and he needed him to come rescue him and how that was you know, an immature walk with him. And yet each one of us, you know, we get to that point where we're brought to our knees over and over on a personal level. And, and when things are going good, it is so hard. And the Lord speaks about this in the scriptures when he says, you know, blessed are those that um, are humbled, that are brought to their knees, that are brought down to this humility, but more blessed are those that will humble themselves. Mm. Um you wonder what does that really mean and why? And I, be, I believe, as I've, I've actually pondered on this for several weeks, why are they more blessed that humble themselves? Those that humble themselves are in a different type of relationship with their creator. Mm -hmm. They're in a different type of relationship with their father. Um, they don't have to be brought to their knees. They don't have to uh, be acted upon by him, but they've discovered the joy in the relationship and that um, coming to him, whether good or whether bad in their life is that he is their everything. And more, why are they more blessed? He's describing just a state of that type of people because of the relationship they have with him. How, uh, how wonderful is it to be able to be in a point in your life where you have everything and yet you still can't wait to just talk with your father and pray to him and be thankful for what you have and share what you have with others. And that is just so contrary and to the carnal man. It only happens to a man like we talk about whose hearts have been completely changed. And Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I doubt, I, I, I want to believe that we've seen that in our day because there are so many good people throughout the world and, and you see the love of Christ in people and yet, um, it's unfortunate, the reality that we're so quick to turn from him. Uh, the, the scripture uh, in Helaman, after he talks about how that's the day when we forget him, it, it's got a sad summary because it says, except uh, the Lord doth chasten his people with many afflictions. Now, notice it didn't say, except that the Lord chastens the heathen with many hmm. afflictions. He says, uh, unless the Lord chastens his people with many afflictions, except he doth visit them with death, with terror, famine, and all manner of pestilences, they will not remember him. Isn't that just, I don't know, just, but that's the reality. I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I guess because of our, our carnal state, I mean, we're so happy when we've got a little bit of blessing to just, kind of go off and leave him behind. It's, it's a sad state, but uh, the, the day comes hopefully that uh, we no more turn from him. Well, Corey, we've been going here for um, a while now, and I thought this might turn into a two-part series, or maybe our, our first time for doing that, but let's, uh, we've talked about the land and, and this land and the blessings and the um, promises for this land. Let's, uh, Let's invite our uh, listeners back for uh, part two when we maybe talk about on a more personal note, what does freedom look like for each one of us? Sounds good. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.